0: Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. When was the last time you went to a dinner party? Did you know that Jesus himself loved to get together with all sorts of people and share a meal? Today we're continuing our series called Dinner with Jesus. And Pastor Nicole is looking at several different instances where Jesus shared a meal with someone and it led to an incredible life change. Now today's message is from one of our outdoor services that we've been holding at Erie First this summer. So things may sound a little different today. You might hear some car horns honking from the crowd or some wind while the band is playing. But it's a tremendous message, and we're excited to share it with you. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole.
1: We are continuing our series called Dinner with Jesus, and to start today, um, we're going to have a pop quiz. Are you ready for a pop quiz? I want to know what your food IQ is, okay, what your food IQ is. So it's in your uh, bulletin here. If you got one on the way in, looks like this. It's in there. If not, you can just follow along. I'll read it to you. But you can do this quiz. Now, it, make sure the person next to you, make sure you don't cheat, okay? No Googling these answers, all right? So here's the first question. In what country would you find a shish kebab as in everyday food? Chile, Palau, Turkey, or China? Turkey is right, in Turkey you eat a shish kebab. All right, number two, what country is renowned for chocolate, Argentina, Finland, Venezuela, or Belgium? Belgium, you guys know your chocolate, all right. Number 3 her eating jambalaya, You would most likely be in what country? Malaysia, South Africa, Brazil, or the United States? That is D, the United States. Good job. It sounds like a weird word, but it's letter D. Uh, Number four, the authentic Italian version of mozzarella is prepared from the milk of which animal? Cow, goat, sheep, or water buffalo? Okay, you might think it was B, but this was tricky. It's actually water buffalo. D, D. Isn't that amazing? The authentic Italian version. Ask an authentic Italian to confirm whether that's true or not. Number five, if you're eating tapas, you would most likely be in what country? Nauru, Korea, Russia, or Spain? Spain is correct. That is a uh, Spanish... Um, meal. All right, and number six, what is the name of the buffet style meal that serves multiple hot and cold dishes of various foods? I have been mispronouncing this all of my life. Is it that first one, Falkalvorv? Is it a smorgasbord, a call or Kropkogor? It's B. If you have said smorgasbord, that's what I've always said. It's smorgasbord, actually. All right, so clap your hands or beep your horn if you did pretty well. Five out of six. All right. High Food IQ Church, don't we? All right, you could be proud of something. So for the next four weeks, we're gonna continue to look at different meals that Jesus ate, and we're gonna see the important things that happened around these meals, and we're gonna take the challenge to be like Jesus and do these same things. So in the passage we're gonna look at today, a man named Simon invites Jesus over for dinner, and a woman appears to crash the party, okay? Both have an encounter with Jesus, but only one of them walks away changed. Now, some say the woman in this passage might have been Mary Magdalene. We don't know for certain, but it perhaps is a story about her. And so let's just look in Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. So let's just stop here in the scripture for a moment. Just imagine this woman comes to the house of Simon uh, because she hears that Jesus will be there. She is not on the guest list. Okay, She is not an invited guest. However, it doesn't seem that Simon is trying to kick her out. So Simon is allowing her to come in. And she doesn't seem to be intruding on dinner. It says that she was standing behind Jesus. So just imagine for a moment, maybe she was standing in the corner, uh, trying to just get a glimpse of Jesus, admiring Jesus. She didn't want to interrupt dinner. She wasn't trying to be rude, but she would just get her eyes on Jesus. What I love about this moment we see is that this woman went where Jesus was. She got as close as possible in whatever way possible. She didn't say, I'm only going to go if I get a few minutes of focused time. She, she didn't say, uh, I, I don't have time to just go there and, 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 and just be there in case I see him. She said, I want to be with Jesus so much that I'll just go there. Will you just let me even stand in the corner? And so she's standing there. She has come prepared, How many of you would say you always come prepared? Like today you have your sunscreen, you have your rain jacket, you have everything you need in case something happens. You come prepared. Well, this woman is prepared. She brings the most valuable possession she has, a jar of perfume. Now think of this too. Jesus could have asked her to leave. Jesus could have said you weren't invited. Jesus could have said maybe you're being too much of a distraction. But Jesus didn't. He welcomed her. She began to cry. We don't know why she began to cry, but I'm wondering if maybe she began to cry because Jesus welcomed her even though she wasn't invited. In her her humility, she even uses her own hair to wipe Jesus's feet. Maybe she planned to give it to Jesus as a gift, as a thank you, Maybe she wanted something from Jesus and she thought that she could trade her most valuable thing. Maybe she thought, I'm going to take this and then when I ask Jesus for what I need, I'll give him this and and maybe Jesus will give me what I need. We don't know. But in her encounter with Jesus, she is so overwhelmed with his goodness and his presence that she actually anoints him with a perfume. She, She just pours it at his feet. And so we see in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. And so here we see Simon the Pharisee, doubting that Jesus was a prophet because he thought that Jesus was unable to see the woman's heart. Simon thought if Jesus really knew who this woman was, she, Jesus would be shooing her away. Jesus would be saying, don't touch me. Jesus would be saying, I don't want you here. But if Jesus really knew who he was dealing with, he would not be in responding this way. And so instead of Simon rejoicing in this woman's act of the heart, he was judging her for her past character. And so next we see that Jesus, oh, I just love Jesus, right? He, he brilliantly proves Simon wrong. And this is what he does. He shows that he can read the heart of any person because he just calls Simon's heart right out. He looks at Simon in verse 40 and he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? which I think is a really funny question, <laughs> right? Jesus is like, Simon, do you see her? And Simon's like, yeah. yeah, she's interrupting my party. Like we've been talking about it all this time. And Jesus says, do you see this woman? Because I came into your house, you didn't give me water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Jesus is referencing some common hospitality practices in that day. When someone came for dinner, they would often wash their guest's feet or at least provide water so that they could. They wore sandals so their feet were were always very dirty. A kiss was a standard greeting. It was a customary mark of respect when someone came into your house, even between two men. And putting anointing oil on a a dinner guest's head was a mark of courtesy. And so Jesus is saying, Simon, you didn't even do the basics, and this woman is responding so extravagantly to me. You didn't even do the basics, and this this woman is just responding so extravagantly to me. Interestingly, Simon the Pharisee thought that Jesus was the one who could not see the woman. Simon's thought was, Jesus, don't you see this shameful woman who's now associating with you? But Jesus turns that thought right around and says, do you see this woman? Because I think you're missing the point. Do you see her love? Do you see her repentance? Do you see her devotion? Do you see her worship? Because that's all I'm seeing right now. And Jesus says, Simon, put on your supernatural eyes because you're missing it. Simon did not see the woman as she was because he looked at her as she had been. Simon didn't see the woman as she was because he looked at her as she had been. Now, this is a really incredible picture of what Christ does for each of us. Jesus Christ stands in between the judge and the accused. Jesus stands between the judge and the accused. And in this case, Simon was the judge, and the sinful woman was the accused. And so this is what it means to be in Christ. If you're saved, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus stands between you and judgment. And God, the great judge, doesn't look at your sinfulness anymore. He doesn't look at the things you've done. He doesn't look at your past anymore. He looks at Jesus. And Jesus stood in your place, and Jesus stood between the judge and the accuser. And because Jesus stands between you and the judge, there is no basis for accusation anymore. You will never have enough righteousness for Jesus. You will never get it all right. But Jesus in you will have all the righteousness that you need. The great judge doesn't look at your sinfulness. He looks at Jesus. Is anybody thankful for that this morning? Let's just thank God for that goodness, that hope, that message. There was like a little beep. Did you hear that? Sounds like, like a motorcycle beep. All right, let's look at Luke 7, verse 48. Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? In verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So over this dinner conversation with Jesus, Jesus uses this moment between Simon and the woman to teach about worship. Jesus is all about teachable moments. If you're a parent listening out there, a grandparent, you know all about that, right? You take every opportunity to be like, let me show you. (laughs) Let me show you, here's a teachable moment. And Jesus is highlighting this woman to the people. And he's saying, listen, he gets it. She gets it. So just for the remainder of our time, I want to give you a short definition of worship. Uh, Hopefully something you can remember really clearly today, something you can take from this morning service. Worship is love expressed. In fact, say that to someone next to you. Worship is love expressed. Worship is love expressed. So I want to look at those two words a little closely. First, the word love. Worship is when we express our love to God. You were created to give and receive love from God. When you give your heart to Jesus, he gives you the ability to love him. And God gives you a new heart so that you can love him. In Matthew 22, a man asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. Loving God is the most important thing we do with our lives. Loving God is the most important thing. And we should determine to figure out how to love God more and more every day that we follow him. Now, sometimes in our lives, because of circumstances, because of difficulties, Uh, because of of just time that goes on, because of lack of focus, sometimes that love in our heart for Jesus, that love can leak. Sometimes it's a slow leak. Sometimes it, it happens all at once. But Ephesians 6 says this, that the enemy is shooting arrows at you. Did you know that? Supernaturally, the enemy is shooting arrows at you. And you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to punch a hole in your heart with hurt or offense or judgment or or a lie. And if he gets that arrow through, if you receive it, if you let it through, boom, you got a hole in your heart. And then maybe, maybe you're mad at God or you get disappointed at God or you get distracted from God. And then these holes in your heart they make your love leak. And if you feel like your love for God, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your love for God used to be strong. Maybe it used to be uh, something you could tangibly feel or understand. And maybe you haven't felt God in, in a really long time. Maybe you would even say, just, just between you and the Lord, you would say, yeah, my love has grown cold or it's, it's fading away. I, w- I wanna tell you this morning, be honest with him. Like It's okay to say, hey, God, I think my love is leaking. I, I, don't, I don't even know where the hole is, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it used to. I, I don't feel as passionate about serving you as I used to. I think my love is leaking. God won't be mad at you for telling him that. He won't be intimidated by a heart that he needs to fix. Listen, that's his specialty. He's the master at that. He's the only one that can do it. He's a master at at making our hearts whole again. He can do something about it. I would venture to say that almost no one else can, but God can do something about that. He can fix your heart so that your love isn't leaking for him anymore. So worship is love expressed, but first you have to make sure that there's love in there to express. So let's, let's look at that second word, expressed. I want to use an analogy of a marriage maybe, or maybe you're in a marriage or a relationship, and um, it, it doesn't work real well. Now, Joel's never done this, so this is not a live example. But if it, do, it doesn't work real well on your wedding day to say, well, I told you I loved you 30 years ago. If it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> that's not how it works in fact a marriage or relationship you have to communicate and express that love often all the time and god has created us to communicate with him he's created us to walk and talk with him from the very beginning of time in fact in genesis 3 and 4 at the creation of mankind this is really interesting every conversation was initiated by god Every conversation, every conversation that Adam and Eve or Cain had, they were answering a question. And so if they were answering the question, someone must have asked him the question. And so God was saying, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? Where's your brother? Do you remember what I did for you? God wants to hear from us. He wants to speak back to us and he wants to communicate with us. And communicating with God develops intimacy with Him. Expressing our love to Him is worship. So, how do we do that? You might say, okay, I'm all in. Worship is love expressed. How do I express it? Well, I'm just gonna share with you a couple ways. Um, There's hundreds of ways, there's hundreds of creative ways to express your love to God. But uh, sometimes we bow in reverence, we bow before Him. The psalmist said, come, let us bow down and worship and kneel before the Lord, our maker. Sometimes we bow before him on a truck in a parking lot. All right. We bow before him and we say, God, uh, we, we just we just know you're sovereign and you're good and we're little and you're big. And let me just do this so that I remember that. So that I remember that you can do something bigger than what I can even understand or know. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration to God. This isn't an eerie first assembly thing. Maybe you've only ever seen it here, but this isn't an eerie first assembly thing. This this is a Bible thing. Paul said in the New Testament, lift up holy hands to God. David said this in the wilderness. He said, I will praise you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Lifting up your hands means one of two things. Sometimes it means surrender, right? Don't you like surrender? Like I like I, 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 give up. And so sometimes it means surrender, not my will, but your will be done. That's what we're saying. God, we surrender. We don't have the answers to the, the questions. We're hurting, but God, we surrender. And then in the same way in our culture, if your team wins, if phone works, what do you do? You say, yeah, we won, right? You lift your hands in victory. And so we celebrate the victory. So when you're worshiping and you lift your hands, you lift them in surrender. You lift them in victory. In fact, right now, if you just need victory or you're in surrender, or you just raise your hands right now, just practice with me. Jesus we love you, God. We surrender our lives to you, not our will, but yours be done. We don't understand, but God, we believe you. We trust that you're moving and we want the victory that you have for us, God. Just like that, just like that. You can put your hands down. Sometimes we express worship by dancing and celebration. Just hits your whole body and you can't stop. I know you guys are waiting for me to do that right now. <laughs> but scripture tells us That we can praise him with dancing. You might say, that just seems nonsense to me, Pastor Nicole. But let me tell you something. Most of you have danced at some point in your life. You danced when you got your new phone or your new shoes or whatever. You danced when he gave you the ring. You danced when your team won. Listen, I know some of you chest butt total strangers at at basketball games because you're excited your team won, and you don't feel like you can move your foot for Jesus, (laughs) This is what we do when God's overwhelming love for us. Sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands. Sometimes we dance in celebration. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. The writer of Hebrews said, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, all the time, everywhere, in all circumstances, continually offer to God our sacrifice of praise. In other words, we worship him when we feel him. We worship him when we don't. We worship him when we feel and see the blessings all around us and we worship him when we're hurting. Worship isn't just something that we do. A worshiper is who we are because of who God is. A worshiper is who we are because of who God is and the way that we live becomes an act of worship. Okay, so in another conversation with a different sinful woman in John 4, 23 through 24, Jesus talks about worship clearly, and this is what he says. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And this scripture says this, that the Father is seeking worshipers. He's looking The Greek definition of seeking is carefully, diligently. God says, I'm seeking worshipers. And how many of you know that the truth is a crowded church doesn't necessarily mean it's filled with worshipers? A crowded parking lot doesn't necessarily mean it's filled with worshipers. God sees right to our heart. He's the only judge, right to our motive. And Simon, he looked great on the outside, but his heart was wrong. But the woman who was repentant and broken before God, she was the true worshiper. So I always ask myself, why? Why, God? Why are worshipers like this? Why are you looking for those? Why is this kind of heart important? And this is what the Lord told me this week, is because a humble, submitted heart to the Lord draws breakthrough. A humble, submitted heart to the Lord unlocks the miracle. A humble, submitted heart to the Lord gets us in the place where God our Father can tell us what what we need, that that we can hear His voice and taste His presence and be close to Him, be intimate with Him is seeking worshipers, and I think sometimes we assume that God's probably looking for somebody else more qualified. Maybe you've thought, he doesn't want my worship, I can't sing, or I can't dance, or, or, or maybe there are better people out there, people who know their Bible more, people who like the church longer. I'm just going to go ahead and let, let Pastor Quint and the worship team sing for me. I'll just watch. I mean, they do a better job. But let me tell you this truth that's maybe the most important thing I'm going to say today. You can't borrow anybody else's worship. You can't. Nobody can sing for you. Nobody can bow their heart and worship to God for you. Your mom can't, your grandma can't, that elder, that council member can't do it for you. I can't worship for you. You have to bring your worship to the Lord. You have to submit your heart to Jesus. You have to bring your best to Jesus. It might not feel like very good. It might not feel very important to you or very much, but God says, listen, all I want is what you can give me. All I want is the best that you have today. We're gonna do that together. We're gonna sing again here in just a minute. We're gonna worship. I pray that you look at it even differently than maybe you have in in the, in the previous time. But first, last week I introduced a challenge that I really felt like God, Jesus gave me for our church, really specifically for Erie First at this time. And the remaining four weeks of this series, as we work through this dinner with Jesus, the challenge is to have 400 conversations with people who don't know the love of God. People who don't know your friend People who don't know your friend Jesus. And these conversations can happen over a meal, over a cup of coffee in a backyard, each at a grocery store. The conversation can be simple. The idea is that you share your faith, your hope, your peace, what you've experienced, the love of God that you know, just with someone in your life. And so at the end of each service for the next several weeks, every time we're outside, we're gonna have a time. We're gonna have a time for you to come down and mark just one of these boxes if you had that conversation. I wanna remind you, these boxes are not counting. These boxes are not counting people we would never reduce someone's life to a box on a on a board, okay? What this is counting is our obedience to God. It, it's counting our obedience to God's challenge. And each mark represents a each mark represents a conversation. And you are marking this box in faith that the truth you shared will grow into faith in Jesus. We aren't in charge of the results, okay? That's God's job. Let's not pretend that, that we can do anything supernatural. That's God's job. What we're in charge of is to be obedient to spreading the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're called to do this as a family, as a body of Christ. And, and I can only imagine, and I want you to imagine with me, what can God do with 400 conversations? about his love in our city in the next four weeks. What could God do with that? So you might say, yeah, how does worship connect to this challenge? Let me tell you, honest worship draws people to God. Honest worship draws people to to God. The world sits up and takes notice. Some of you have felt like, you know, I don't know how to share my faith. Maybe you feel weak. Feel like you don't you don't have words? Maybe you're not confident enough. But listen, worship is a witness. It's a testimony for God. So maybe the way that you're gonna open up the door to a conversation is you're gonna say, Hey, listen to this song I've been worshiping to, because it's wrecking me. Because the truth of God is coming through it. And maybe you share that song with someone when you don't know what to do. Worship, because worship draws the presence of God, and then people can be drawn to God. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, used to say this: if a church is on if a church if a church is on, if a church is on fire for God, people for miles would come to watch it burn. So, so during our worship time here for the next few minutes, if you had a conversation, I want you to come down and use these markers on these tables to just put an X in one of the boxes. Doesn't matter which box that you choose. And I want to encourage you to really engage in worship in these next few songs. So would you stand? Let's just thank God for his goodness. Let's let's raise our hands. Let's dance before the Lord. Let's bow down. Let's do the hundreds of other ways that God has given us to worship him. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to finish strong in worship today. Father God, I thank you that you are worthy of our worship. Jesus, I thank you, God, that what you want from us is broken and repentant hearts. You don't want perfection. You don't want a God, you just honest worship with all that we have in us, God, and you'll meet us here. And so, Lord, would you set our church on fire, God? Would you help us worship you? And would you do something we've never seen before? God, we're waiting, we're trusting. And it's in your name I pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Eerie first podcast if you like this podcast please give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast and share it with your friends you can find all our series videos and podcasts at eeriefirst.org, along with all our latest news announcements and information thanks again for joining us we'll see you next time